My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 570. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we are going to be discussing a Brene Brown podcast. Well, no, we're going to be discussing a book. We're going to, well, I was, I was getting there, ah. where they discussed a book called Burnout, The Secret to Solving the Stress Cycle. Do you have the names of the authors of this book? Yeah, I just gave them to you. Emily and Amelia? Yeah. I didn't, how did you give them to me? I said them to you and you wrote them down. <laughs> Just I didn't. a second ago, and I spelled it to I spelled it to you. Are we in the twilight zone? I have nothing written down. And you, I, you said who are the authors, and I said they're Emily and Amelia Nagoski, N A G O S K I. Yeah, I wasn't paying any attention to that whatsoever. When you when you asked the question, yes, I was <laughs> I was behind the the booth here. So, anyways, um, so that's the name of the that's the name. Yeah, and I hope I'm saying their last name right. Nagoski. Nago- Apologies in advance yeah. if we're mispronouncing. Emily, Emily, um, yeah. But first, a few quick things. Uh, team Zen. Um, it, for those of you guys who don't know what that is, it's a team that we have created. There's about 115 or so listeners. Um, it's 25 bucks a month. We do two live podcasts per month. We get access to really good authors, Dr. John Duffy, Gemma Hartley, some of our favorite people get on, on these personal Zen talks that we do. And we have, I think both Rosalind Wiseman and Dr. Alexander Solomon coming up the next few months. So if you guys are interested in that, just go to zenparentingradio.com. First month is free. So it's really uh, no risk. Um, just co- enter the coupon code FRIEND. We do have people come on and speak, but most of the time. It's just you and it, I. Well, it's you and I and everybody on the team. And the team. Yeah, yeah. the team says, hey, I'm stuck because I'm ready to pull my hair out because my kids are driving me nuts. At least that's sometimes what happens to me. So we're here just to support each other. Um and the tribe has a workshop this Wednesday. So if there's any guys out there that want to check out more about what I do with this men's group, uh, please go to tribemensgroup.org. It's for regular guys. So hopefully you check us out. So um, I first wanted to start with one of your Zen moments. Okay. Are you okay with that? Sure. And I think it it goes into burnout and stress and stuff like that. Okay. Which one? Um, it's called Right Here. Okay. So that was Friday. Yes. And this is the leading quote, and then I just want to read it because it's like three tiny paragraphs. Uh, The quote is from Mary Oliver. It's a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in the broken world. All right, just let that sit in. At the end of the day, this is, now this is Kathy's words. At the end of the day, we process through what we did and what we forgot. We analyze why we were willing to take a risk or why we weren't, why we called someone back or why we left something off until tomorrow. It feels like an analytical interpretation of the day, a way of understanding our every move, and sometimes unwittingly, an opportunity to tell ourselves that we should have done better. It's a habitual process, but we can question its necessity. Do we need to understand everything or can we just experience? Do we need to always be better or can we just be? It can feel good to understand ourselves and others, but it also feels good to let go be here and accept. Not to deny or pretend we don't care, but to focus our energy on now and what's next instead instead of earlier today. Life can make sense and sometimes it doesn't. Not all experiences have a perfect box. Not everything necessitates a solution. 
finally. Right now, right here, there are so many things to see and feel. The wind is blowing, the stars are bright, and even though we don't fully understand it, it would be a shame to miss it. All right. So that is Kathy's Zen moment, which uh, she puts out there three times a week. Anything you want to share about that entry, sweetie? Um, I wrote it a long time ago when I realized that sometimes the way that we say that we had a good day because we got a lot of stuff done ends up being harmful later. I think that we can say... So it's harmful to say we got a lot of stuff done? Not not universally harmful and all the time harmful, but I think sometimes when we say I had a good day today because I did A, B, C, D, and because I got this done and I got this done, and we say, therefore, I had a good day. And I think sometimes if we don't get things done or if we just have a day that's open or a little more um, you know, connected to the moment, that that isn't a bad day. Right. So in other words... <clears throat> I can sometimes feel value in checking a bunch of things off my list, but it's possible while doing that, I was not present for any of it. Correct. Possible. You weren't present. And I think, I mean, that's part of it. But I think when, you know, the question is like, why did I write it? It's because I think people, there's a lot of human doing rather than human being. And I think when we're just being, we say, oh, um, you know, I, I should have gotten other things done, then then this day would have amounted to something. Mm. And when we and sometimes we inadvertently harm ourselves by having a day where we get a lot of things done and we give ourselves a big pat on the back. And because we tend to live in a binary when we have an open day where maybe we don't get as much done, we call that not a good day. Right. And it's and I think that there should be you know, like, I mean, we could just speak about it ourselves. I know I do that, but you do that. You'll be laying on the couch and you'll be like, I had the worst day or I had the most Because lazy. I didn't get anything done. Yeah. And you like are really self-flagellating mm -hmm. about the fact that you watched a football game or relaxed or talked on the phone. And there is a, and, and I'm talking about you. Sure. I do it too. Yeah, yeah. It's not just you. No, um, I certainly have a pattern of that. Right. Or like, like last night I was watching something and you, I don't, I can't remember what it was, but you didn't want to watch it. So you went to work at nine sure. o'clock Yeah, and it's nine o'clock. Well, I don't want to watch that show. What was I watching? Was I watching the next Take a guess, thing? sweetie. Okay. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's just like, we are like, well, I'm not just going to be, I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of this is then we look at the day and we say, um, well, I've got to figure out why was I lazy? Yeah. Well, I got to figure that out. Start shaming yourself. Why didn't I get that done? Why didn't I do that? And we want everything to fit into a box of, it was my childhood. Mm -hmm. It was because you made me not. It was because my kids are a pain. We like feel the need to make everything fit. Yeah. And not everything always fits. I love making things fit. I like know. last night when you put on your program, uh -huh. I love using the word program. It sounds like so old school. <laughs> um, I played life with Skylar and uh -huh. then yeah, I, so I, that, I lost right bad. Yes. I just drew the wrong cards. I just wasn't playing well. I wasn't on my game for the game of life last night. And then I needed to send my tribe a uh, weekly email out. So that's what I did. Got it. So the, those two things happened in that hour. But I also fell asleep on the couch yesterday watching football and I beat myself up less for that now. Okay. So I'm feeling better about it. Um, so I feel like that 
dovetails nicely into the topic. Okay. So how I have a bunch of notes here, but I know you read the book. I read a summary of the book. Okay. So I want to let you start. Well, I think there's a lot in the book, so I really just wanted to focus on stress and stressors. Mm-hmm. Like I thought maybe we would call this show um, Being Well in Anxious Times. Um, because I think we're in anxious times. Oh, you already have a title of the podcast. I like that. (laughs) Being well in anxious times. Yeah. All right. So the reason why I wanted to focus there is like Todd said, it's a, the book has a lot in it. And the, uh, and so, and I'll go back to what Todd was focusing on before the beginning of the show. The reason I know about this book is because Brene Brown did a podcast with these two women last week. And so I listened to the podcast and I told my my husband and my children, I would pay them each $5 if they listened Which to the podcast. Which is unprecedented. I've never done that. I was kind of kidding. It was kind of kidding. I haven't paid anybody, by the way. How many of the three listened to it? Uh, two. Were you going to pay me, by the way? Sure. Do you want me to pay you $5? Five bucks. Yeah. yeah. I listened to the whole thing. Okay. Five bucks. Fork it over. I will. I don't have it with me. I don't have it with <laughs> me. That's Han Solo from uh, Han Solo from Star Wars. When he's talking to Greedo. When he's talking to Greedo. But then Han pulls out the gun when you think Greedo's... Sweetie, it's not a gun. It's called a blaster. Thank you very much. He says, a tu la solo. A tu la solo. I don't have it with me. I'm just... What I'm doing right now um, is... Are you going to find it? I don't know. It's so funny. YouTube is so crazy. I don't have it with me. I wonder if that is actually... um, I think you should just put in Greedo and Han. Do you? Yeah. Because I... For Christmas this year or last year, I gave Todd the like figurines of Han and Greedo sitting across from each other. Yeah. So it is a thing. Yes, Greedo. As a matter of fact, I was just going to see your boss. Tell Java that I've got his money. So Yeah, but this time I've got the money. I don't have it with me. Tell Java. <laughs> Sorry. That's just, welcome to the inner world of Todd and Kathy. Well, what's funny is in that scene, doesn't he start picking like, yeah, the wall? Yeah, he puts his hand back on the wall like, he's yes. He's like, I don't have it with me. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so anyway, I don't know what I said I didn't Stress have Stress versus stressors. Oh, my money. Oh, yeah, okay. the money. I don't have money for but you. Cameron didn't listen to it. Correct. JC and Skyler did. Yes, All right, they did. Sure. And, um, and they both said to me, they said, well... I didn't get as much out of it as I think you thought I would. That's what they said. You may have oversold it to their younger brains. I did. And that's exactly what I did because I listened to it again when I was cleaning the house and I was like, oh yeah, this is a little like two level 202. And I don't mean intelligence wise. I mean, you have to kind of have some basic interest or understanding in emotions. Sure. You know, anyway. So being well in anxious times. So I think the most important thing in the podcast and in the book, even though there's lots to grab from in the book is the difference between stress and stressors. So they really focus in on the fact that our body is going to experience stress. You can't be a human being and not have stressful experiences. And I think before 2016, I kind of tried to, if I had a stressful experience, I really wanted to clean it up fast because I kind of had a feeling or a belief that um, stressful experiences were inherently bad and that I was like hurting my physicality and that I was hurting my mental, my mental well-being and that I really tried, I didn't run from it. I just tried to clean it up really fast. 
And I something I learned in this book, and I'm actually, as you see, I'm kind of searching through um, the quotes, was that being well is not like a place you can stay. And I'll read um, a quote directly from their book. It says, to be well is not to live in a state of perpetual safety and calm, but to move fluidly from a state of adversity, risk, adventure, excitement, back to safety and calm, and then out again. Stress is not bad for you. Being stuck in stress is bad for you. Wellness happens when your body is a place of safety for you, even when your body is not necessarily in a safe place. You can be well even during times when you don't feel good. So wellness is not a state of being, but a state of action. Okay. So yeah, so being so sometimes they're like, oh, I want to be well, and being well means everything is going the way I want Correct. it to. And I think what they're saying is being well means you have a healthy relationship that when something, when some stressor shows up, that you have a healthy relationship, and we'll talk about this, allowing the emotions to pass through you and all that other stuff. That's exactly it. And I think that one thing that we've all learned either beginning in 2016 or just in 2020 is that there's no way to get away from the stress we're experiencing, meaning it's continual. You know, we've been in a pandemic since March and it's constant and chronic. So the stress, the stressors right. are out there. Right. So the stress is w the way our body responds to whatever stimulus is out there. Mm -hmm. So the stressor is something outside of ourselves and Correct. the stress is our body's interpretation of that event. Yes. So the stressors, so I will say that sentence again, because you're right. We cannot get away from the stressors. And, and the truth is I was never really getting away from the stressors. I would just be frustrated when they came up. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, oh, I got to work through this so like, you know, I can be safe and calm again. And and the way that I feel that I've grown in the last couple of years is it's like, dude, the stressors are always there and they're never going away. And as soon as one gets alleviated, another one shows up. And that is not a necessary, it's kind of like going to that thing I wrote. It's not necessarily a problem to solve. It's just something to have peace with. But the way that we can be peaceful about it is understanding that while there are stressors, you can decrease the stress in your body. So even though there is a stressor there, doesn't mean you have to be in a perpetual state of stress. Right. So the differentiation is important. Now, on top of that is that even if a stressor, like let's say tomorrow and, you know, pipe dream, they said, we figured out the pandemic, we have the medicine, the vaccines here, it's, it's over. Yeah. Many of us would be like, okay, well then let's not be stressed anymore. The stressor might be gone, but we the stress processed. in our body is still there. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, we need to pause there. Okay. So that's very interesting. I believe it. And it's counterintuitive because if COVID's done, then there's no reason to be stressed. And what you're saying is our body is still, maybe our brain, like from the neck up, like, oh, great. No more worry. But our body is still um, housing whatever the original stressor gave to us. Correct. Unless we have completed the cycle of stress. Okay. And that's what we're going to talk about is it's not something where you go, well, shoot, what's the point then? It's if you understand how stress works in the body and you know how to move it through your body, then every... So basically, let's just take the election and the pandemic out of this for a second. Sure. I know we can't really, but this is something for not only now, but for a lifetime, which is that we are going to experience, you know, 
I, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm exhausted today. <laughs> I'm so well, tired. Well, I kind of want to use your headache as okay. a as a possible stressor. Like okay. you have a headache, yes. and as we all know, headaches m- bum us out and probably is creating some housing, some stress for you in your body right now. And your Correct. head hurts. Correct. So it's two things. One is the pain in your head. Yes. The second is your body's probably being like, oh, I, I wasn't planning to have a headache today, so I'm going to house some stress. Correct. And, and there is just a physicality to, I'm just very tired. Yeah. Like if I sat in a chair upright and closed my eyes, I think I would fall asleep. Yeah. Um, my daughter was trying to get me, she was like trying to get, pull me upstairs to go rest. And I'm like, I must do a podcast. Yeah. So she's doing she's this for right. all of you. So no, yes, I'm not, I am not, I, I, I was more joking about what I said to her, yeah, not no. the fact that well, I'm and it's here. Yeah, and the fact that our daughter is loving you enough to want you to take care of yourself. She's awesome. like, you don't need to do that. You tell me I don't need to do that. I'm like, oh, Yes, right. walk the walk. Okay, so anyway, but what I told her is I said, once I do the podcast, I can shut down, shut down yeah. if I need to. Okay, so let me just read something from the book. Stressors are what activate the stress response in your body. They can be anything you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, or imagine could do you harm. I think that last one is important. Imagine could do you harm. There are external stressors like work, money, family time, cultural norms, expectations, discrimination, and I'll say pandemic election. And then there are less tangible internal stressors like self-criticism, body image, identity, memories, the future. In different ways and to different degrees, all of these these things may be interpreted by your body as potential threats. So for some of us, there's very literal things happening right in this moment, you know, not feeling good, or you just lost your job, or someone's in crisis. And then there's just these things that go on all the time, people who are shaming themselves. Yeah, I would say the voice inside our head, which is just lying to us. And those are all stressors. Right. So it could be from the outside, which is something literally outside your body that's happening to you, or it could be some lie that your brain is making up to get you to feel bad about something. Exactly. So that those are stressors. So stress is the neurological and physiological shift that happens in your body when you encounter one of these threats. Now, here's what's interesting. It's an evolutionary adaptive response that helps us cope with things like, say, being chased like a, by a lion. Sure. So we, you know, we've talked about this a million times on the show about, you know, our body's response to, you know, the, the fight or flight or freeze. Um, freeze and that those are actually adaptive responses. One thing I just will, just a little cliff note here that they talk about in the book is how we are so like hard on ourselves about what we should be and who we should be that we are even critical of our own adaptive responses that they talked about how most people are like the best adaptive response is fight. Mm-hmm. And that if we, f- if we use flight or we use freeze, we're self-critical. Yeah. And as a guy, <laughs> I can certainly appreciate that. Like, oh, if you're not fighting, then you're not doing anything. Right. Which what we're not recognizing is our body is adapting to save us. And, and what's interesting, and this is important our body. So I right. am, I live in my head. So I'm like, right. Oh, well, this is all in my head. Like, no, your body is as intelligent of a mechanism as your brain is. Correct. So we need to like, when we're, when we're having these conversations about on this podcast today, don't think of a, about it as a head exercise, which is what, where I default to our body has a central intelligence to it. Exactly. And that, you know, they, in the book, they used a lot of things, uh, you know, animal kind mm-hmm. of, um, examples. examples yeah. Like one of them was when a lion is chasing a gazelle. A gazelle, once they realize that flight is not working, um, you know, they're running and it's not working, they just fall. Mm-hmm. 
to the ground and play dead. Yeah. And that is their freeze response. Sure. And the lion will often be like, okay, I got the gazelle, so let me look around and see if there's any like baby gazelles. No, it's when they go get the cubs to bring back to the gazelle to eat. So the, the That's what I mean. I'm saying it in a different way. Okay. Oh, they go get their they babies. They go get their babies so they can you're feed. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I read that wrong, mm-hmm. but you're exactly right. They actually go, they, they, they stop the gazelle, think the gazelle's dead, and they go get their tribe. Mm-hmm. Or what do you call a group of baby lions? A uh, pack? No, a pack of wolves. Yeah. A pride. Yeah. They get their pride to come back and be like, now we have food. Well, in that moment... When the lion leaves, the gazelle then can jump up. And, and again, they're, they're really specific about this because we're about to talk about the stress cycle and moving through it. The gazelle stands up, starts to shake, starts to like make sounds and shake to come out of that stress response and to move that through its body so then it can again run. Yeah. So its ability to freeze saved it. Yeah. And sometimes when we, like for those of us who have had experiences with someone either um, being critical or someone who is assaultive or an issue with molestation or discrimination and our body freezes and then we blame ourselves, that is our body putting us into a mode where we can survive. And it's not a head exercise. Our body knows... It's not like it's perfect, but it has this intelligence that we need to respect it for. It reminded me of that. We did a pop culturing on that Netflix series. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And what happens to a lot of um, sexual assault survivors is they freeze. Uh-huh. And there's, you know, you always hear these like cases where like, why back? did you fight back? And there is something sp- kind of like the gazelle. It's like the exact same thing. Yeah. Like the victim or the survivor finds himself in this place and they think their best chance of survival is just to freeze. Because exactly. if they fight back, somebody's assaulting them, they could die. Correct. So, so you can see how on these more critical crisis-oriented challenges, how this shows up. But this can be true in just our everyday experience with stress. Sometimes instead of like, oh, I'm feeling really stressed. I need to go, um, you know, or I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm just going to go for a run, which all of us, and again, physical, physical activity is amazing for, you know, going through the stress response, but some people need to sit Yeah, and that's okay too, is that we don't have we're so critical and we believe there's one way, like we have this social conditioning where we're like, if I do it this one right way, then I am good. So that's, you know, hugely important to consider as we're going through this. So again, about the stress, um, once the stressor is gone, um, or the cause of the stress is gone, it doesn't mean you've addressed the stress itself in your body. Your body is soaked in stress juice, just waiting for some cue that you are now safe from the potential threat and can relax into celebration. And I, I'm reading that directly from the book. One of the things that they said that I loved is that just like Todd said, this is not this is not neurobiol or it's it's how do I say this? This is not brain activity. This is body activity. So you can tell your brain as much as you want that the lion is gone or that the pandemic is over and it's not. So we need to use something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um that whatever it is, like maybe you had lost your job and then now you have a new job and you can keep saying, but now I have a new job. Well, the example they had in the podcast was Bernays talked about um, doctorate students who finished their dissertations 
and they, well, this might be a different example when they get sick. So. Right. And that, that's, you know, the body yeah. actually still experiencing the stress and that does go in a different direction, but it, it is the same thing happening yeah. is that basically, and this is what you and I are going to focus on now is your body, even though the stressor's gone, your body is still under stress. And this is super important for us as parents to understand because a lot of times we do things as parents thinking it's good for our kids and it's counterproductive. For example, our kids, um, you know, something happens in their sport and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, like someone takes the ball from them or something like that and they almost um, lose the game. Yeah. And then, but they, then they don't lose the game. And then they come off the field and they're all shaken up. Mm. And then we say to them, but you didn't lose the game. So don't worry about yeah. it. But their body is still under that stress. Yeah. So this whole conversation is about body awareness, tapping into your body, which is something that I still am believing more and more in. As far as a practice, I have a long way to go, but to your point, this is, your body is still housing this, I like it, the stress juice. The stress juice. You got to work it out. already came through. Yeah. So you have to get through the process. So what we're going to talk about now is what it means to complete the stress cycle. Okay. So use whatever, you know, challenge that you have right now where you're like, well, the stress, and and you can also, let me say this because this is important. Even if the stressor isn't gone yet, you still on a daily basis need to complete the stress cycle so you can wake up in the morning and have the capacity to deal with the stress again. So sorry to go back to like COVID because we're all dealing with it, but you know, this, the stress-er, the mm-hmm. stimulus is still there. It is. And I think what you just said is we still need to figure out, even though it's still there, mm-hmm. we need to figure out a way to work this stress juice out of our body. On a daily basis. Okay. Every day. Not just during a pandemic, but every day we need to have a completion of our stress cycle. Another way that I can say this, you need to allow your feelings to move themselves all the way through. Mm-hmm. Like you need, and and right now I feel like we're dealing with a lot, which makes this ultimately hugely important for our physical well-being. Um, but so a few things I want to read. This this is so important about emotions. Emotions are tunnels. If you go all the way through them, you get to the light at the end. Exhaustion and burnout, which is what their book is called, happens when we get stuck in the emotion. Hmm. So when we're talking about the stress we feel, sometimes stress is too general for people. Any emotion, you may say, well, I'm not stressed, I'm just grieving. Same thing. Mm -hmm. You may say, I'm not stressed, I'm just pissed off. Same thing. You may say, I'm not stressed, I'm just confused. Same thing. Yeah. Stress is just the general umbrella. Just another name. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking, so we're talking about feelings, emotions, stress, anger, sadness, fear, joy, all that Correct. stuff. Correct. And that we have to, on a daily basis, move this feeling, these emotions, this stress through so we have the capacity to keep going. Again, remember the title of their book is Burnout. <laughs> yeah, Burnout I- is when you don't allow those feelings to come full cycle. I'm just, I know I'm beating this to death, but I want to make sure everybody hears what we're saying. Um, I, I pulled this from my summary. So I think burnout and emotional exhaustion are kind of the same thing mm-hmm. in the book. And they say three things happen with emotional exhaustion. One is you spent too much time caring, caring too much. Correct. The second one is 
depersonalization, mm-hmm. which is when you can find your capacity for compassion, empathy, and caring dwindles. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like when you, Numbing I don't out. care anymore. Numbing out. And then the last one is the third component of burnout is a decreased sense of accomplishment. In other words, that feeling of nothing I do matters. Yes. So those are the three components of burnout, I guess. So later in the book, when they really get into that, they talk about ways to make sure that doesn't happen. But before you even get there, you have to understand the basic those foundational principles on an everyday basis, you need to move your feelings and your stress through because you're not going to be able to deal with those three things you said unless you understand this part. Well, and those three things are kind of like an indicator of us, am I burnt out? Correct. And you're burnt out when you spend too much time caring, caring too much, when you depersonalize it where your empathy dwindles, and then lastly, when you feel like nothing you do matters. Right. You're burning out. You're burning out and you could be, and it doesn't mean you're burned out and you've, it's just, I kind of think about that as I've hit a wall. It's an indicator. There's different levels. You know, it's a continuum of what burnout. We can have burnout at the end of a long week and we can have overall life burnout. Sure. You know what I mean? Well, we could have burnout at the end of this podcast. Like I'm giving whatever I can to this podcast. And if it goes on too long, say two hours, I'd be like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Yes. 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 So it could be tiny. The burnout could be tiny or it could be debilitating. Yes. So let's talk about the seven things we can do to decrease, or excuse me, to complete the stress cycle. I love this. These are bullet points. Yes. You ready? Yeah. I I have them right here in front of me, but you start. And you know what? I wrote them down from memory, so we probably have a different order. Sure. So the first one and the most helpful and simplest and easiest way is physical activity. Hmm. And so I don't know if you guys remember, or you probably did this yourselves, but when COVID um, (laughs) first hit... Um, I put up something in our family room that said uh, pandemic 2020. And my family makes fun of me because my twos look like Z's. So they call it pandemic Zozo. Yeah. And it's still up there from March. (laughs) Pandemic Zozo. But I meant to write pandemic 2020. But the first, you know, there was a bunch of things I wrote about drink water, you know, stay in touch with people. But one of them was move, Mm -hmm. move. You have got to go outside. You have, I'm, I am not hard on my girls about how they spend their day. I'm not super, you know, I have three teenagers now. I'm not super micromanaging. But if I notice that in a day they have not been outside or they have not walked or they have not ridden their bike or they have not, like JC's right now, can you hear her vacuuming upstairs? Mm-hmm. You know, they have not done something. You got to go move because this is the simplest way to move your feelings through your body. What I want to add to that, you know, it could be a 10 mile run, but it could be as small as... If you're sitting down, stand up. Or if you're standing up, sit down. Like do something different to move your body. So I want to make, I want to stress to our listeners that this doesn't mean you have to put on your running shoes. I mean, you can, you can, but it's just, just start moving your body. Well, and for me, like I, yoga is my thing. I do go for walks all the time. Um, and I actually just decided to invest in a bike in mm. what's it called? A Peloton bike. Yes. Um, and so I'm going to give that a go. Yeah. We're going to see how that goes. Um, but I am, yoga is what moves things through my body. Like that's, I know that for sure. Like mm-hmm. I've known that for 20 years. And so that is, you don't have to be like, working up a sweat is good for you, but that's a whole different component of exercise. Sure. That's like burning calories and sure. everything. This is about movement for the sake of moving emotions through your body. Your nervous system needs to move. Correct. So physical activity is number one. Yep. Um, I have for number two, positive social interaction. Okay. 
And basically what that means is like, you know, the example they gave in the book and then we'll come up with our own is like, you know, when you're, you know, when you're running from a lion, you know, like we all have before, and then you run into a house and there's people there and you're like, oh my God, I, I made it. And I close the door and there's a bunch of people and they're high-fiving you and they give you a hug and they're like, yes. And you like celebrate together. Mm-hmm. Those are indicators to your body. This is not a mental game. Yes. That you are now safe. Yeah. That you are having a positive interaction with people. They're on your side. They have your back. Um, this can be where you, you know, so I'll get away from the lion for a second, where you are in a meeting at work and everyone says, good job. You you worked so hard there and we are with you and we see what you did and you're high-fiving or can we high five in COVID anymore? You know, the, basically it's any kind of interaction that tells your body you are surrounded, comforted, and safe. Well, and they could say, they said in the book, I think, <clears throat> it could be a pleasant exchange with the barista at Starbucks. Absolutely. It can be, and you know, it's one of those things where this is so multi-layered is if you know that, if you're like, you know what, I'm feeling really... I'm feeling the stress in my body. I'm feeling like I have a headache or I'm feeling my stomach's upset. And then you go in to get a coffee. A lot of times we'll go to the autopilot response, which is I'm going to be pissed at everybody. Mm-hmm. But if instead you go to the response of I'm going to talk to the barista, I'm going to tip more, I'm going to have a positive interaction, you're actually working your own feelings through while you're giving someone the gift of kindness. And the reason I keep saying this is like, yes, the the thoughts in your head will help you feel better too, but it's beyond that. Always. It is a body intelligence. So it's it's not just in our heads. And it's a parasympathetic response. What you know does what that I mean? mean? Um beyond emotion. Got it. It's beyond feeling. It's like there is um there was another story, and I think it was from the podcast. I don't remember reading it in the book as much. But, oh, oh Sorry. Boy. Oh, boy. Todd's dropping his phone. There was a story that uh, about Peter Levine who wrote the book um, about uh, – will you look up the name of Peter Levine's book so sure. I can offer that? But he basically talked about his own experience of being hit by a car. So almost like a – you know, similar to a gazelle being stopped by a lion. Like he got hit by a car. Waking the tiger? In an unspoken voice, healing trauma. Yeah, healing trauma okay. is the big one. Um, but he, because he's very connected to the somatic response, which is the body response, and he was saying that he remembers that separation, that that disconnect where he had to. It was Paris. It wasn't just feeling. It was body feeling where when he got up after being hit by a car, he realized he needed to shake his arms mm-hmm. and and move his shoulders. And not just because he was like sore, yeah. but because his body needed to work out that stress and trauma. You know, for those of you who guys have, who have read Eckhart Tolle's book, you know, um, I think it's in the power of now, or maybe it's in a new earth, but he talks about, you know, when ducks have conflict with each other on the water and they quack, quack, quack. And is that the sound they make? I don't think so. Quack, quack, quack. That's a little bit. Okay. And they get mad at each other. And then as they as they swim away from each other, they flap their wings. Shake it out. To work that energy out. It's the same thing. Parasympathetic. Our body, it, this is the other part that's really important, and this will help you, Todd. Body has its own language. Yes. So brain has language, which is created, you know, the English language that you and I speak. Yep. And then, or the language that any of you speak, and then there is body language. And when we're born or when we're infants and toddlers, we're really good at that. And then the older, the story I make up, the older I get, 
the further away I get from that, which means we got to bring more attention to it. Correct. Well, when we're born, we're only body language. Right. We don't have... Right. We don't have... We're not like, oh, here's that word, hello. Like, we don't know language. So the only language we have is body. Everything's somatic. And then, you know, and that's why babies are like, they, you know, think about what they do with their mouth. Like, Mm -hmm. do you remember when the girls were like really teeny and they just like stretch their mouth Mm -hmm. and stretch their fingers and they're just body responding. Well, and, and, you know, sometimes people make fun of me for the intelligence of children. That's what I'm talking about. Who Starting makes fun of you. Oh, sure. Like, no, we're not here to, to learn from our kids. We're here oh, to teach our kids. Got it. Yeah. Like, no, our kids are experts at this very thing we're talking about. Correct. Like we have to come back around yes. full circle. So positive social interaction. Yep. Um, so, and I like that you added that barista one, cause it's true. Go out and be nice to people and you will start moving your own emotions through. Sure. Uh, number three, breathing. Yeah, one of my, one of my, I love breathing. Yeah, and if you can combine breathing with walking, or breathing with yoga, or breathing with weightlifting, or breathing with cycling, you are doing two things at once. Yeah, and breathing, um, or breathing with meditation. Um, when I am meditating now, and I'm sure it's probably annoying if people walk by or come in the room, but the amount of breathing, yeah, like like you can hear me breathing. Um, because I need to, I I now understand that it has to be a little more full bodied for me to feel better, better. I'm not, I can't just do the, that doesn't do anything for me anymore. I really have to breathe out my feelings, breathe them through. Um, so, you know, again, I feel like people who listen to this show who already do this are like, well, yes, of course. But there are some people that really do think breathing is not a thing. I know. I, I think I may have told you this, but uh, in my industry, we did this thing called committee days and I was running a committee meeting virtually. And I, the industry that I'm in is very typical. Like you don't do any breathing at the beginning of, mm-hmm. of meetings and all that. And I decided to do a meditation at the beginning of this meeting and people are not used to meditations at the beginning of a business meeting. And I was a little scared and vulnerable. Like, am I going to get made fun of? Like what's Todd doing? And I did it for like three minutes and people were quiet. And I was like, I'm like, you know, I'm at the point where like, I don't care. I don't care if people make fun of me. But one of the men who I don't even know put in the chat box, he's like, I had no idea how much I hold my breath. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why you focus on your breath. We, especially, and again, remember, your body feels stressed. So the autopilot um, path of least resistance things that we do are get pissed at other people and hold our breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what we actually need to do when we're under stress is breathe and have positive interactions with people. And again, positive interactions doesn't mean it, it again, it's just any kind of support, smiles. It's not about doing it for other people. You're doing it for you too. You know what I mean? Cause sometimes these things can sound like, oh, you're pissed. Just go out and be nice to people. It's bigger than that. It's just feeling as if I kind of think about it as a self-compassion, common humanity thing. Yep. Sometimes when I'm lost in my head with my own stress, it's like when I realize when I go out in the world and I'm like, everybody's experiencing this, that feeling of common humanity is what calms me down. Before we go on to the next one, I just want to, I wanted to bring this up earlier, but I chose not to for whatever reason. The whole idea of stress, like most of these things that we're stressed about, we misperceive its importance. Like our brain is still hardwired to scan the environment for threat. And we think that when a lion's going to come, that's when stress juice kicks in. But now the same response happens when our kids bring home an F. 
and we think we're getting eaten by a lion. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's this weird evolutionary, you know, trick that's been played on us is we're acting as if we're about to get killed, but actually it's going, it's just killing a version of our ego. Yeah. You just have to think about it is that our bodies as conscious as we can be and as intellectual as we are as human beings, we still are hardwired for a certain kind of response. And so our brain doesn't auto or body doesn't automatically differentiate between the lion and our kid getting a bad grade. So we still have the same response. We still have the stress juice. We still have the, and you know, the story that, you know, and I could tell a million stories like this about women that I work with and myself for that matter, but like the, you know, one of the women, cause again, it, the two women who wrote this book are twins, but one of them was in the process of, you know, going through this doctorate program and was doing her dissertation. And she was so not completing her stress cycles that she ended up in the hospital. And many of us do end up in the hospital and we'll say, oh, it was this germ or this heart problem. And it just happened to me. And and it's not about blaming ourselves, but we do play a role in our health. Well, imagine how much stress impacts our immune system. Correct. And, you know, it's funny. Every time I go to the doctor, um, they always take my blood pressure and it's always high mm-hmm. <laughs> initially when I get there. Yeah. And and I'll always say, now I've learned because it's happened four years in a row. I'm like, take it again before you leave the room. Because then the nurse asks you a bunch of questions and yeah, you calm you chill them. out a little bit. And, and I'm like, take it again. Um, you know, and the last time this happened, it was just a couple weeks ago when I was at the doctor and she's like, lay your arm here, put your feet on the ground. Okay. Put your head back and close your eyes and then let me take your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And it was completely different and fine. But my point is, is that if I'm walking around the world with that heightened blood pressure and we know what, what that does to our heart and our lungs and, and so we're, our body and then you add stress juice on top of that and everything else. Our body is like working so damn hard. Yeah. And we have to be conscious of how we can speak body language with ourselves and help it rather than make it harder. Mm-hmm. That's Because burnout is... Our body, as much as our body is on board with us and, and is part of the system, it's smart enough to just say, no more. Yeah. You're in the hospital, burnout, you're sick. You're you're hitting the ground, and we'll blame it on the last thing that happened. Correct, to us. and really, it's just been this cumu- accumulation. Right. Um, okay, the next one, affection. Okay. So this was the one that we enjoyed the most in our home is twenty second hugs, or six second kisses. Mm-hmm. Twenty second hugs allows somebody to really take in the uh, safety of a hug and the stability and foundational experience of a hug. And the hug is not about you just fall on top of someone and they hug you. It's it's like two stable people coming together to hug. And after 20 seconds, both of the bodies feel safe. Yeah, And that helps your body move that stress cycle through. Same thing with a, a six-second kiss is that a lot of times, you know, I think all of us who have been married a long time, you know, do this where it's just like a big, you know, kiss, kiss. You know, we're just like, it's not, it's almost like saying, love you, love you. Yeah. There's not a lot to it. Yeah. Intention, but, focus. Exactly. But if you kiss someone for six seconds, your body then has the ability to feel the safety yep. of that connection. 
Uh, and, you know, Skyler's the one who points it out to me a lot because I'm a big hugger. I hug the girls all the time. But sometimes she will say, that's not long enough. Yeah, she's she's a world-class hugger. Yeah, and she, like, and she's right. Like, I'm kind of passing through. I'm like, hug, hug. Mm-hmm. And I pass through and she's like, not long enough. And then I read this about 20-second hugs and I was like, yeah, she's right. Yeah, that's good stuff. Anything else about that? No, I mean, 20 seconds is a good guideline, but kind of what you said, do it. Do it long enough because maybe it'll take two minutes or maybe you could do it in five seconds, but do it long enough to where you feel your body chemistry changing a little bit. You're like, what does that mean? I don't know. I, I can't describe it for you, but I think that your body will just know when it's starting relaxing into the person you're hugging. Yeah. Maybe where you just become conscious of feeling more grounded. Yeah. And that's, that's a beyond emotional response. That's because a body if language. you think about it, I think even sometimes when I hug you or the girls, it's about, I need to hug just so I can check it off my list of, I need to make sure I right. engage with them physically. Right. When really, if you think about it, a hug is an expression of love. Right. And, but I'm doing it many times to check something off my list. Yes. So basically stay there long enough to where you're no longer checking it off your list and you're actually doing it for what its real purpose is. Yeah. There's kind of like different levels to it because it, 20 seconds is obviously so you can complete your stress cycle, but it's also more conscious. Yep. You know, you're more, it's all interwoven. Like it's not one thing or the other. Um, so one of the, I wanted to read a few things since we're on this, and this actually speaks to physical activity, but this is true for all of the ones okay. we're reading. It says physical activity or affection or whatever, or breathing, it tells your brain you have successfully survived the threat and now your body feels like it's a safe place to live. Mm-hmm. Physical activity or the other three or four that we read is are the efficient strategies for completing the stress response cycle. I'm just repeating what I said before. Oh, here's the thing about hugs. The research suggests a 20-second hug can change your hormones, lower your blood pressure and heart rate, and improve your mood, all of which are reflected in the post-hug increase in the social bonding hormone oxytocin. Um, And then like a long mindful kiss, a 20 second hug can teach your body you are safe, you have escaped the lion, you're safe and sound and you are home. So there is like when these these researchers, these two women weren't just like, yeah, let's do 20 seconds. This is research based. Like there is a reason that's when the oxytocin kicks in. Well, and by the way, there's no side effects. Correct. Whereas little white pills, sometimes, even though they sometimes they're help helpful us. They're sometimes, yeah. We're not uh, going to ding those. They're not going to ding it, but there are sometimes side effects to pills and hugs. There are none. Correct. But I will say that sometimes people need the pills Absolutely. so they can give the hugs. Yep. Okay. So just want to make sure that we're not calling one thing bad and one thing good. Um, so number five, crying. Okay. So crying, as we all know... Crying is the best release your body can have to get rid of stress. I mean, I... I <laughs> oh, the baby. I love that baby. Um, obviously, they say physical activity is number one. But for me, having a good cry mm-hmm. is like the best. And sometimes I can't... I mean, I know you're going to be like, what do you mean you can't get there? You cry all the time. But there are times I'd really want to cry and I can't like last week before we went away, we went to South Dakota. We haven't even talked about that, but we went on a trip with our girls and a couple days before we left, a lot was happening. And like one of my girls had, I don't know about you guys, you know, I'm talking to you guys like you can talk back to me, but when my girls don't feel good, it's like a whole nother level, right? So one of my daughters is like, I have a sore throat. 
And that used to mean like, oh, go to bed and relax. And now it's like, what does that mean? Mm. Can you not go to school? Do you have COVID? Can we not go on our trip? Like it means so much more than it used to, which is a stressor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another element of COVID is it's like con- hypervigilance about your kid's health yeah. and your own. Yeah. And so that was going on on top, you know, I had one daughter who had a sore throat and then we're trying to get out of town and there was a lot of things going on with work. And then one of my daughters, uh, one of my daughters, my oldest daughter got a letter of acceptance to a college that she wants to go to. And right when she opened it, I was able to cry, mm. but it wasn't, it was about that because I was happy for her, but it was everything else. That was the entry point to let some other stuff go. Exactly. And it, and then once I cried, I felt better. Yeah. It was almost like... Whenever I think of crying, I just think of space being created for something else to show up. Yeah. It's like, it's just all that. It's like tears, you know, and you guys know this, we did a show about this like 10 years ago, about tears. They've looked at tears under a microscope and tears that come out because of laughter have a certain composition. Molecular makeup. Molecular makeup. And then tears that come out because of sadness have a molecular makeup. So it tells you the sadness tears has a different toxicity that comes out. Laughter, it's a different kind of thing that comes out. So when I'm crying, I know it's something my body needs to get rid of. Well, and you know, you know, chalk another one up in the camp of body having intelligence. Exactly. Like, oh, crying is crying. Actually, if you put it under a microscope, this tear looks different than that tear. Correct. It body intelligence. Um, create the next one. So we've done physical activity, positive social interaction, breathing, affection, mm-hmm. crying. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is creative expression. Okay. So that to me is probably during this pandemic been the most important one for me personally, which is writing. Um, I hear something moving against your, yeah, maybe, maybe they can't hear it. Maybe it's just me. I'm hearing uh, microphone feedback. So creative expression for me is the ability to write about something. I don't always share it. I, sometimes it's in a journal, sometimes it's, you know, just notes. Um, sometimes it's just a post-it that I put by my window or my meditation area, but creative expression for me is being able to articulate something I'm feeling, even if it's something dark, Mm -hmm. because sometimes something dark, if it doesn't have an articulation, it just muddles around in there like a ghost. And once I can put it out with, get it out of my body with words, then I feel better. And, you know, that's my thing. But, you know, in the podcast they talked about, um, Brene talked about a woman that she knew who lost her son. And this woman was a dancer. And she spent a lot of time creating a dance that she could do to process and go through all the feelings she had of her, you know, losing her son. And it's, it wasn't about doing the dance. It was about creating the dance. Right. Or, you know, those of you who in 2016, when we did the first women's march and women were knitting hats, yep. you know, put all that energy into knitting a hat. Right. Um, or, you know, you can take any emotion, rage, sadness, fear, and use that, first of all, to, to finish your stress cycle, but also to put it into something good. Well, the first thing I thought of when I heard this um, were morning pages. Yes. Oh, so Can you explain what morning pages are? Yes. So Julia Cameron wrote a book called The Artist's Way. um, And she, 
basically I think the reason the artist way has sustained as long as it has, cause it's still like one of the number one bestsellers and self-help is this thing called morning pages where you wake up every day and you have to use a notebook and a pen. She's very specific about it because it comes through your body. Again, mm-hmm. it's body awareness. Mm-hmm. It's not about typing. Mm-hmm. It comes down your hand and you just write anything that comes into your mind. It's almost like, you know, she, some people just refer to it as a brain dump. So before you get up in the morning or you get up and you just brain dump and that process gives you an openness for the rest of the day. And it sometimes is where your creative ideas come from. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just words that are coming to you. And sometimes it's just kind of like, uh, it's a different version. It's, I think it's a meditation. Yeah. I don't know. Did you ever do morning pages? No. I feel like you guys did it at a retreat or something. Well, yeah, but I've never had, I've never made it a habit. I think the only time I got really into it was when I was 40. I went through a pretty uh, difficult, it was a depression for sure, four or five months. And um, morning pages was a saving grace. Yeah. And there's no reason, you know, I could do it right now and still get something out of it. I'm just doing more. I'm just doing something different. Yeah. Um, but for those of you who want to learn more about Morning Pages, The Artist's Way, Julia Cameron. All right. Anything else about creative expression? What's your creative expression? I uh, judge myself that I'm not particularly good at that. Um, you wrote a poem last week. I wrote a poem, but that's because it's part of a project, part of my men's group meeting. So it was kind of an assignment within the confines of the meeting. Um, I don't know. I think it's absolutely a habit that I have plenty of room to cultivate to help me. Why don't we get one of those big posters and put it on the table and you can start coloring? Yeah, just something easy. Mm-hmm. I always make up this story about how I'm not good at, not that I'm not good at journaling. It's just, it just doesn't sound fun. It sounds like it's draining and I don't want to start my day by being drained, but it's also a story I make up because I've never really tried it. Well, and you know, there's room for both, meaning you could still try it. But I also think we all have different ways. Like you might like coloring something or making your box people or writing mm-hmm. a poem or um, you might like dancing yeah. or like it doesn't have well, to be I go in and out with stuff, you know, I was like doing the piano for a while, mm-hmm. but that's like more, um, that's more like formalized artistic stuff. It doesn't necessarily have to be that either. It could be you know, any number of different things. Right? Well, there's a perfect example of we'll talk about with our kids is that, you know, for parents who see their kid playing the piano or dancing or kicking a soccer ball around, and we automatically assume they need to either have lessons, a teacher or be on a travel team. Yep. Sometimes that's just their way of moving their stress through. And sometimes we end up taking that away from them because we formalize it. Well, did you um, read um, the book of awakening today, October 19th? Mm-hmm. And he talks about it has something to do with cultivating creativity. And he's like, maybe you want to paint and that doesn't mean that you should be a painter. Correct. Or maybe you want to garden and doesn't mean you should be a gardener. Mm-hmm. So in other words, do it for the sake of doing it as opposed for the sake of becoming something. Well, and that's such an, uh, it's like a unlearning that all adults and unfortunately even my own kids are having to do now and I'm pretty vocal about it is they'll do something they love like photography and if they don't get noticed in the way other kids do they assume they aren't good at it Mm -hmm. and they've all told me these things in different ways like well I drew the picture or I put you know I you know gave something to reflections which is something that we do in Elmhurst like where you do a creative expression and and I didn't 
get notified or, and I didn't get an honorary mention or I didn't, you know, so I'm not good at it. And it's like, wait a second. Like once we start judging our creative expression and Sweetie, saying you're good, you're not. You want to talk about childhood wounds. You know what story I'm about to say, don't you? Purple turkey. The purple turkey story. <laughs> I was in kindergarten. She gave us a blank picture with the turkey outline and you can get to color it any color you want. Call it, color it purple because purple is by far the best color of all time. And all my kindergarten classmates started making fun of me. So to this moment, I still, I feel my body getting stressed, feeling it. And I was bawling to my kindergarten teacher. And whenever I tell that story, Cameron gets very upset. She's like, don't tell the purple turkey story. Because they, it's weird because I think it's, she doesn't want, to think about her dad being sad. Being sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think she can handle your sadness in present time. Just she just doesn't want to think about you as a little boy. Yeah. Um, so creative expression, just remember that if your children have something they do, like they dance around the house and you're like, why won't you go to dance class? Maybe it's just their stress release. Yeah, boom. Um, and then the last one is laughter. Yes. I have um, something, I have good news and bad news. Uh-oh. The bad news is we're an hour in, sweetie, and we have not talked about what we decided we were going to talk about today, which is human giver syndrome. Well, I switched away from that. Oh, you did? Only because I thought, oh, sorry, everybody. I only, I thought the stress and the stress cycle was more. Okay. Human giver syndrome is a huge part of We could do a whole show on human giver syndrome if we still feel the juice next week. Okay. And and we can say what it is. Um, The human giver syndrome, um, as a preview, because then I'm going to give you a really good example of laughter. Okay. So I'm just trying to tease everybody to not click off. Human Giver Syndrome. In her book, Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny, philosopher Kate Mann describes two classes of people, human givers and human beings. Human givers are expected to devote their time, attention, and bodies to human beings who get to express their individuality. Right. And what you guys will probably not be surprised to hear is that... Women tend to, generally speaking, generally speaking, tend to fall into the human giver category, and that can result in something called human giver syndrome. And that men are culturally um, trained to be human beings. So they go out into the world and say, I need to do this. I need to achieve this. I need to go on the hero's journey. I need to have this experience. And women somehow get socialized or believe that they're supposed to support them in doing that. Did you read that piece in this book about Joseph Campbell, by the way? I did. I'm going to read that. Okay. After I, so what I want to play for you all is at our conference a few years ago, um, cause this will help be helpful in real time to help our nervous system to process through whatever stress we happen to be experiencing today. Okay. Because I can't guarantee it, but I'm guessing you will enjoy this and laugh along with what I'm about to play. Oh, good. There's a video that we played at the conference of an infant girl <laughs> watching her dog, it's like a black lab, eating popcorn. Oh, I know. She loves that dog. And she thinks it's very funny. And it's kind of long, but I want to play the whole minute and a half. Oh, don't play the whole minute. Why? Play because... 30 seconds. Let's see how it goes. Okay. Popcorn, and she just 
How can I possibly stop that? There's like another minute left of that. She is the best. She's like my hero. I know. I've watched that video, not exaggerating, probably about 55 times. <laughs> and it, it it's as if I'm watching it for the first time. I know. Every time. It's so contagious. Mm. It feels so good. I know. And that's why laughter is so good. And they really def- differentiated in the book and on the podcast about not dumb like <laughs> laughter. It's got to be belly laughs. Not social laughter. Yeah. Not laughter that makes us be self-depreciating or makes us feel more comfortable, but true laughter. So those are the seven, Todd. So um, two things. Okay. One is I'm going to read this quick thing I read about Joseph Campbell, whom I love and now feel like I love maybe a little bit less. Okay. And then, but I want to close the show with the last 35 seconds of more laughter from the baby watching her dog <laughs> eat popcorn. Okay. Yeah. And after you do that, I have a few last thoughts as well. Um, so the Joseph Campbell thing, who wrote The Hero's Journey, or no, what's the name of it? Mask with a Thousand, thousand Faces. 10,000 Faces. Something like that. It? I don't know. I'm just a, a big... A lot of faces. It's a lot of faces. I'm a big fan of his... I, mean, I don't even know if I've read his books because it's pretty dense, but I listened to his interview with Bill Moyers mm-hmm. and he's just a... He's passed away, but he's an expert on mythology. And religion. And religion. Having said that, even Joseph Campbell, the author who helped popularize the concept of the hero's journey, doesn't believe in such a thing as a heroine's journey. According to him, the woman is more of a place than a person, a destination for men to reach rather than an agent on her own journey. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I hope that maybe they misinterpreted his stuff or it's just a tiny sliver of everything that he teaches. Maybe he talks other things. But if I'm just looking at that in a vacuum, that's very sad. Well, no, he's a man from a different era. I mean, he died in 1989. So it's not like, you know, we're trying to hold him to 2020 standards and he can't. In no way am I letting him off the hook and saying, oh, you know, poor guy. I don't feel bad for him. I just feel like he... He chronicled, he looked at all different religions and all different mythology, and he saw one thing in common was the hero's journey of men. Our history focuses on men, and he did not see any um, examples or... If he would have looked hard enough, he could have. Right. But my point is, is he just he ignored did not. those. He I mean, ignored. there's some incredible women right. in our history. And the reason I know this because I, I read those books that's with Skylar of all those amazing Absolutely. women through history. Um, I, those books are called um, Not Real. We love Rebel Girls. Nice. Rebel yeah. Girls. So I wanted to read something since we're talking about patriarchy for a second, because they talk a lot about patriarchy in this book. Yeah. Because one of the most important things, and this is kind of what I wanted to end on, was that there are stressors in life that are things like the pandemic and, and you know, and the election and, you know, finances and all those things. And then there are things that we have just experienced our whole lives. And they talk a lot about the patriarchy, because even though I know people get really uptight about that word, you have to understand what it means, which means that the patriarchy is being raised as a boy makes it easier for boys to grow up and take positions of power and authority. That's all it means. Sure. And does is anyone going to argue with me about that? No, the evidence holds, holds that standard. So that is the definition of patriarchy. So if we could just all agree that that's the case, it would be a lot easier because like for women, women tend to have a chronic low level stress and they explain 
explain that it's kind of even messier than that sounds. So first, it's very possible that female and male biologies respond differently to that stress. Um, and then they, this is going down a different path. It's just talking about how when male rats are exposed to chronic mid-stressors, they drop off right away. Like if they're swimming, they stop swimming, or if they're running, they stop running. Um, but female rats... It, they don't. When they're mm. exposed to a lot of stressors, they keep going, mm. which is, you know, they're making the comparison. It's indicative of how women always are experiencing this kind of mm. like low level chronic stress. And this is such a great, so listen to this, Todd. I think you'll really like this. This is a good way to understand how we're not all in the same playing field okay. and that why certain people experience a more low level chronic stress. White men grow up on an open level field, okay? Can you see that? Sure. White women grow up on a far steeper and rougher terrain because the field wasn't made for them, mm -hmm. okay? They're running uphill. Right. Women of color grow not just on a hill, but on a cliffside over the ocean battered by wind and waves, mm. okay? None of us chooses the landscape in which we're planted. If you find yourself on an ocean-battered cliff... Your only choice is to grow there or you're going to fall into the ocean, yeah. right? So if we transplant a survivor of the steep hill and cliff to the level field where white men are, natives of that field, that'd be white men, may look at that survivor and say, why does that person have so much trust, you know, issues with trusting people or being upset with the police or why do they not trust their own body? Yeah. And it's because they didn't grow up in your field. Yeah. And this and this is the book does a really good job of talking about how we it, it, and you and I have always they talk about they get more research based about body sensations and they give a lot of, you know, they give a lot of studies and research to kind of back this up. But you and I have always talked about how we each go through the world wearing our own glasses. Yeah. And so we look at other people with our own glasses and we assume that they should be ex experiencing the world the way we do. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, my the, the Zen parenting moment that I wrote for today was about that. Mm. It was about we look at people and we say – oh, you have problems too? Well, here's what I did, so do what I did. Yeah. And we don't understand that those are our life glasses. Sure. It may not, what you did as a white man may not work for a woman of color. Right. It may not work for a white woman because you have not had her experiences or a, a man of color. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean you can't offer. But when they say to you, well, I wasn't born on an open field, I was born on the, the cliff, um, then you can, saying to them, well, come on. Mm. That's not fair. Like being able to validate sure. where someone was born is all that's important or not all. That's a piece of what's important. Sure. So I guess the reason I want to bring that up in ending is that we all have different levels of stress. And one thing that um, Alexandra Solomon said when she was on the show a couple weeks ago was she was talking about how or maybe I was listening to a podcast with her. I don't know if she said it on our show or on somebody else's podcast, but she was saying that before women were doing what's called second shift, which was they would work all day and then come home to second shift. Yeah. And come home from work and go to work. Correct. And now because of the pandemic and the changing and this, you know, remote school and everything, now there's third and fourth shift. Mm. Doesn't mean men aren't doing anything. It just means first line of defense is still women. So then you add all the regular chronic stressors to all of 
and that's kind of the way we're born, chronic stressors. And then now you have regular stressors and then now you have pandemic stressors. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot on. So the reason why that's important is every day, everybody needs to make a plan to complete their stress cycle. Go for a walk, do some yoga, practice some breathing, write a poem, and not just when you think you're stressed. It's not a brain activity. Do it for your body. Well, and I would say do it. It's kind of like we went on hikes when we were in South Dakota. You have to drink water before you're thirsty. Because right. if you wait till you're thirsty, it's it could be not too late, but you're, you know, keep the fuel tank full. Exactly. Like right now, we're finishing up this podcast and I, before I go lay down, which I know I need to do, I'm going to go for a walk. And I'm not going to go for a walk because I think I need to burn calories. I kind of feel like my body is tired and I will listen to it, but there's also something I need to move through. Yeah. And so I'm going to just take like a three block walk, take in some fresh air, and then I'll lie down. And I feel like it's the, um, it, it's you know, we're just so used to doing everything because we want to build muscles or get skinny. And this is not what this is about. This is about moving and allowing your body to complete all of its emotional work with your support. Boom. that? Good. Can't believe we got through this show. We did it. Uh, How was my brain? I think we did great, sweetie. Okay. Uh, Don't forget Team Zen, Tri-Men's Group, everything else. I'm going to close the show with the last 45 seconds of baby laughing while feeding popcorn to dog. It's been viewed 1.5 million times. That's beautiful. Um, Let's finish with some music. All right. Uh, Keep trucking, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. Zen Parenting Conference 2020 is February 28th and 29th. We'll be discussing sex ed, gender, anxiety, neurodiversity, and healthy relationships. Go to zenparentingconference.com to get your tickets. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. 
If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the support us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.